morning, good afternoon. How you guys doing? I know it has been an interesting two weeks. I mean, my God, so much has happened. Literally, so much. Anyway, I know you guys have been waiting for this week's episode, so here it is. I am back from my short trip to Arkansas, which I will be telling you guys about at the end of this episode. But besides that, we're going to go ahead and get started. And as always, we're going to go ahead and get started with comics. Now, it has been an interesting couple weeks in the comic world as well. There has been a lot of issues with AXE, actually three since I've been gone, which is a lot. Uh, These are going to be tie-ins. And the first one we're going to be talking about is Marauders issue six. Now, if you're not familiar with Marauders, it is a X-Men group, which is led by Kitty Pride. Think of it like the high seas, and she basically runs a ship where she brings mutants to Croeca and helps them as well. Now, this tie-in was okay. Nothing really, oh my god, about it. And they were basically facing judgment from the Celestial And the Marauders crew was basically the main point where each of them was facing their own judgment, visited by this new god, and how they had to justify why they should live. Honestly, this comic was, for what it was, was very underwhelming. It really didn't add to the story and just felt like it was a throwaway comic. I would have expected better for a group who's known for going out to the sea to help people as they were basically stuck in one place. I honestly would have been more impressed if they explored how, like, regular humans were affected by this, how they're going to other mutants, using their own experiences and fears to help other mutants instead of, oh, it's just us team talking about our differences, just going over the same old stuff that... Basically, everybody has known from previous comics. Like I said, it was mostly a throwaway comic for me, and it was just a tie-in leading to another event that's probably going to be happening in the Marauders series. Anyway, moving on from Marauders, we're going to be talking about Immortal X-Men, issue number six, which of course is another tie-in for Judgment Day. Now, this was a really great comic, as it basically explored... What happened before issue three with Sinister helping the Quiet Council and, I mean, not really more convincing, more like tricking with the help of Destiny to attack the Celestial. And it showed how Destiny basically played it out with saying, this is how many people would have helped if, let's say, they knew about it, the odds, calculating what's going to happen without Xavier and Storm being there. And basically, we all know what happened. They tried to shut down the Celestial. It failed. They basically uh, were shown what would have happened with the explosion and how they are to be judged. Destiny, being a uh, precognitant, which means she can see the future, was visited by the Celestial, which gave her a thumbs down. Now, other people who it gave a thumbs down was, of course, Emma and Shaw. Now, one thing that's interesting is how thoughtful this plan was. Emma Frost herself basically was explaining that uh, whenever a judgment happens, it appears as someone they know, someone that can judge them, and basically explained how she felt judged, like it really affected her. 
another thing was basically how uh, Sebastian Shaw basically took full stage for the rest of the comic and coming up with a plan to help the Quiet Council deal with what's going on. He agreed to meet with uh, the Eternals, Star Fox, and basically come up with a plan to deal with both the mutants and Eternals. Now, the Eternals talked about how the first thing that was going to be on the table was the whole resurrection thing. And Sebastian Shaw, being a businessman, basically were striking a deal, although we don't know how much of that deal is going to be disclosed until later. But if you definitely want a deal to go down, Shaw is your man. Like, he is a villain, but he's one of those where you're like, there's always in it for something for him. And he always has a backdoor plan. Speaking of which, one thing I loved about Shaw is when his judgment came, he acted amazing and basically belittled the Celestial. Talked about how dare the Celestial come to him as Emma, how he had no respect for her, and that the god had to do better. It was just amazing. Now, uh, at the end of the comic, Shaw basically connected and summoned a demon and talked about how he wanted to make a deal that he should be able to come up with something to survive this upcoming thing and the demon he summoned at first I thought it was Manifesto but it's a entity that calls itself Mother Righteous I'm not going to come around and say that oh I know who this person is because I really don't maybe they have some relation to Manifesto who knows but all in all, this had to be my favorite comic in the tie-in series because Shaw basically stole the whole show. Anyway, uh, that's about it. We're going to be moving on to Death of the Mutants Issue 2. Now, getting started with Death of the Mutants Issue 2, it goes into the Deviants and Eternals. Now, one thing about this comic is there wasn't much action, but it definitely goes into set up what's going to be happening in the next main issue of AXE. Now, it talks about why the Deviants are helping uh, the mutants as they struck a deal with Emma Frost. And they, in the comic, explain the hardships they have endured because of these Celestials. And it's just amazing. Honestly, these guys are becoming my favorite characters in this series. And I really hope to see them partake in the main action. And seeing as they team up with the mutants, seeing how they go up against the Eternals. Now, speaking of the Eternals, a lot of them are scared, especially for being judged, especially Droog. I have never seen that man more scared, and this dude is frightened. I uh, One thing that's funny is the fact that Uranus is basically calm, and he says he is too early to be judged. I mean, this man is like, I don't know, thousands of years old? I don't know how early anything can be. Especially with the, I don't know, graveyards this man's filled. Anyway, uh, the comic talks more about uh, the other team of Eternals. uh, The ones from the movie, of course, minus Druig. And basically, they're planning on talking to the Celestial. Icarus, in his grief, basically uh, knocks down Ajax and Cersei. And goes to the Celestial and begs the Celestial to kill all the Eternals. For the death they have caused. For they are the scorn of the universe. Now Ajax and Cersei. To their heart tries to stop him. But the Celestial. Has overheard uh, this. And says that he will consider this plan. 
which is interesting because if the celestial basically kills all the eternals oh that would be an interesting way to basically say to marvel yep we love this kill the eternals anyway uh the comic ends with icarus having a thumbs up so does phantomos ajax gets a thumbs down and cersei i think was somewhat in the middle or was that the reverse anyway at the end it basically shows how cersei and the others had free star fox and how everything was talking to the future uh star fox also goes to his mother who's asked what did if the celestial had visited her she said yes and she said that the celestial said that she is undetermined which she comments with uh thanos on her tally that she sees it as a good sign anyway uh that's about it for all the tie-ins yes it was a lot we're going to be moving on to DC. Now, uh, for this one, we're going to be talking about Dark Crisis Issue 4. And the issue starts with Barry basically saving Hal from those, uh, I guess we want to call them discount lanterns? Anyway, uh, he basically saves him and tells them that they have to go and free the others. And it's funny because one thing that I love about uh, Barry and Hal being together is their banter. They have such good chemistry, and Barry stating, yeah, I you, that jacket makes you stick out like a sore thumb anywhere. It's just hilarious. And, of course, the first person they go to try to free is Batman, who is in a weird world where instead of throwing batarangs, he's throwing clockwork uh, components. They really don't go into it, and uh, the comic switches to uh, Terrific, Mr. Terrific, talking about Pariah's energy and how it's disrupting the multiverse. They also talk how they're trying to track down his dark army, which, of course, they had thought at first was destroyed when the Justice League went over there. Then it switches over to Alan Scott and Dick talking and how Alan Scott's telling Nightwing that what happened was not his fault, that Gar being shot was not his fault, that it's honestly for him, it's time for him to rise above the occasion and lead the next generation, that he should not let his failures drag him down. Anyway, uh, the conversation is honestly the highlight of the comic, especially since Alan Scott and Dick Grayson really haven't had any conversations, even throughout their entire history run. I mean, of course, Batman has talked to Alan Scott all the time, but not really Dick Grayson or any of the other Robins, so it was great to see. Now, he basically leads them to a building with magic that is connected to the Earth, where they end up seeing a painting of Zatanna, who was one of the people who fell, and they get a bottle thrown at them by a drunk Bobo, the chimp detective. Of course, he is mourning the death of Zatanna, and he and the others look like they haven't been informed that they're technically not dead, but trapped. Anyway, each of the dark uh, members of uh, Dark Justice League is, or my bad, Justice League Dark, is mourning in their own way, especially Constantine. They talk about uh, how they need to find out what Pariah is planning, and they conversate with Sapling and Swamp Thing. They talk about how something has corrupted the darkness that Pariah has made, which is interesting. How do you corrupt something that's already corrupted? Anyway, uh, they don't really get into it as well, and it switches back to Black Adam, pleading with the Legion of Doom to help take care of 
of Deathstroke's army. Now, uh, it goes back and forth for a little bit, and then Grodd uh, basically says that why should they help him and stuff like that. You see other villains in there, such as Cheetah, and one that I was actually very surprised to see was Punchline. I really don't understand why Punchline is a part of the Legion of Doom, especially since she's a fairly new character, and besides Joker War, hasn't really been doing much. Anyway, Grodd keeps talking, because Grodd is Grodd, and an explosion happens, and Grodd is the first one taken out, which I find hilarious. Anyway, it is revealed that Pariah's darkness has taken over Deathstroke, which was the black goo that he basically spit on the others and was coming out of him. And of course, the one thing that we were all waiting for, the Legion of Doom versus uh, Deathstroke's army has begun. Now, the black goo, goo, oh my god, I can't say words today, basically made Deathstroke's army stronger. And they're putting up a good fight. Now, one thing about this is that Luther recognizes that they have to cut off the head, so he goes to kill slash maybe reason with Deathstroke, and he ends up getting infected by Prometheus, and so do the others. Black Adam watches in horror and was like, not again. It switches back to Mr. Terrific saying that the dark energy is becoming too much for the universe to handle, and it cuts to Pariah saying that a new multiverse is being born. Now... I will say this about the comic, this was a very underwhelming issue compared to the others, and I really expected more from the fight between the Legion of Doom and Slade's army. I mean, this was the thing I was waiting for. They should have had the other stuff be a tie-in issue and basically have this whole comic revolve around Slade and Luther. Anyway, the one thing I'm kind of tired about is the fact that DC keeps changing the freaking multiverse. Every couple years, literally, what has it been like two years, not even since freaking uh, the Batman who laughs and all that stuff where they made it into the Omniverse. Seriously, DC, what are you doing? It's getting annoying. Stick to the simple stuff. We miss simple, not this whole the multiverse is ending again. Yeesh, it wasn't like this like freaking 10 years ago. It's like, oh, sweet dark sides invading Earth. This is happening. This is happening. Not the multiverse is ending. Anyway, uh, I feel like this is going to hollow out and we're basically going to get a new uh, reset again from the multiverse after this. God, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Anyway, I can't wait to see what happens. And I'm very curious to see why this isn't tying in with a bunch of the other stuff. Like you have so many other comics continuing with their own thing and it's like well i guess this isn't important (laughs) like seriously we are like six batman issues now and none of them are covering this besides maybe the teen titans and young justice but i mean those don't really count but anyway uh that's it for comics we're going to be moving on to tv shows and my god do we have a lot to talk about uh first things first i want to talk about the lord of the rings uh tv show rings of power And honestly, the first two episodes blew me away. I honestly was not expecting much from the show with the trailers that were released. They made it look eh. And I thought it was going to butcher 
the whole Lord of the Rings things because I know there's so many Lord of the Rings fans who hate this show. Some love it. I'm honestly here for the ride and love what's happening. I have honestly watched the three episodes that have released. This will be going over the first two episodes and enjoyed them so far. Now, again, I understand that they took liberties with this story. I'm not obtuse to what's been happening. And of course, it does not follow the book 100%. But for what it has, it's done pretty much right. Uh, one thing I love is uh, some of the characters, Gadriel, uh, Dorin, uh, Elron, and some of the other characters uh, that for some reason I can't name. Uh, but it's really going good. One thing I love is how this show keeps in tradition of writing really good characters and making them likable. Like, so far, a lot of these characters have been pretty good, especially the Halffoots and everybody else from the Elves. It's like they have personalities like I've seen in the movies. One thing I will say is the Dwarves have been becoming my favorite characters, especially how they remind me of the Dwarves, how they were written in the movies. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings series, it's just amazing. And one thing I love is the relationship between Durin and Elrond. And it was heartbreaking to see because while they were best friends and maybe still are, it's interesting to see how time itself has basically struck an edge between them. Because in the show, Durin says it's been 20 years since Elrond has visited. And you can see the hurt on his face because... 20 years is a drop in the bucket for an elf, but for a dwarf, he got married, had children, it's a lot longer for them. And while dwarves do live a long life, it's not as much as elves. One thing I will say that is interesting was the fact that in the episodes, it's revealed that they have found the heart of the mountain, and the fact that Durin is the only dwarf that has some good standing with some of the elves. Uh, One thing I want to talk about is how I am enjoying the character Disa, Doran's wife. Wow, she is incredible. It's hilarious. She has spunk. She's a good counter to Doran. She is like very energetic. And it's interesting to see how much distrust uh, the elves have between the other races, especially from the humans and uh, the dwarves and everyone else. And it's very different from how they're treated in the movies with how much respect they've had. Now, one thing I will say is uh, Arendor seems a bit different from the other elves. Uh, Arendor is basically in the show an elf who is watching over a town and he has another squad. Uh, it looks to see like he suffers some PTSD or trauma. And it's interesting to see how he is also in love with a human. Which is not something we haven't seen before as given the Lord of the Rings series. But what's interesting is the fact that an elf during this time and a human being in love is seen as taboo. And the hatred that comes from the others is very interesting. Now, one thing I will say, as I mentioned before, is the half-foots. I didn't know what a half-foot was until I looked them up, and it seems like 
they are the early ancestors of the hobbits or like another sect of them. Anyway, uh, throughout the show, I see how they're very much like hobbits. While they don't have the Shire yet, they're basically like gypsies. They travel around and they don't want to partake in the world's troubles, just like the hobbits. Uh, One thing I will say is uh, during the show, a dude fell from the sky and I don't know if it could be uh, one of the five wizards, someone else. I, like I said, I know they took liberties, so I'm not familiar with some of the characters. Um, actually, it's funny enough, out of all my friends, I know, like, the least amounts, because one of my friends, he actually has read the books, all of them, and is very, very passionate about Lord of the Rings. So, I don't know if if it's, uh, oh god, I think I'm gonna butcher this name, Bradabast the Brown, Solomon the White... Or Gandalf. I honestly don't know. But uh, I honestly can't wait to see. Because it's interesting. You have this dude with certain powers. And he's very forgetful. He doesn't know who he is. And it could be very dangerous. uh, Dude not knowing what he is. And holding so much power. Anyway. uh, One thing I also want to talk about. Is the fight scenes. Now some of the fight scenes look very CG. And it's, I mean, I get it, it's a show. Especially, like, in the beginning when the elves are basically on this journey, going for hundreds of years, trying to find Sauron. And basically find this troll. The fight is very CG, but it looks amazing for the most part. Uh, One thing I want to say is the scene with the orc was amazing. The makeup for it reminds me of the first three movies. Because... My God, do they look amazing. I don't know. The makeup department did an amazing job, and it's scary. The human that uh, the elf was in love with, uh, God, I think I'm butchering these names already, Brolin and Theo, her son, try to kill one of these things in the house. And it's one thing I loved. It's showing how difficult it would be for a normal person, someone who is not in a fighting I guess fit fighting who has fought before kill one of these things. And it's kind of scary. Cause it's like, Oh God, if an orc comes at me, I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> but the scene had perfect suspense, a uh, perfect horror. And it's interesting to see how the entire village will fare as they're going to warn the others. Now, one thing that's interesting, and I didn't know this, and I don't know if this is in the book or they took liberties is The reasoning that a lot of these humans hate the elves is because some of the humans uh, basically took sides with Mordor, who is basically the demon of Lord of the Rings. And, of course, they uh, lost, and the elves won with elves having some humans on their side. And it's interesting to see how that hatred for the elves have sunk in. Now... I won't say much about episode 3, but it definitely shows what's going to be coming uh, up with the Southlands and what the Southlands actually are. Now, of course, I won't go into it until next week, but once I realized what it was, I was like, oh my god. Now, one thing I will say is the fact that a lot of these characters are new, and I get it, some people are not going to like this show. Especially those who are hardcore Tolkien fans. I get it. It doesn't follow the book 100%. But I implore you to give this show a chance. Now, 
I know one of the biggest hatreds is because they made a lot of these characters people of color because Tolkien basically said a lot of these characters were whites and none of them were people of color. Like he made it medieval England and all that stuff. But honestly, in a world with orcs, dwarves, elves, and even more, having someone being brown or black isn't really that far-fetched. I feel like people are really, really taking the fact that people of color in here so seriously that they don't want to even watch the story. It's, it's interesting to see. Because it's not like they switched all the characters. Like, they made a couple people uh, black and brown. It's not that big of a deal. It's the... You have an entire world. Seriously, it's very weird. And the character... Or not the character. The actor who is playing... um Oh, God. Uh, Erendur. He is doing a fantastic job. Honestly, he is doing a great job playing the elf. And I can't wait to see what more has come. Uh, one thing I will say is some of the grievances is... That the dwarves, especially the women dwarves, don't have the beards. And I get it. Like, okay, that was established with them having beards. Because everyone didn't think that there were women dwarves. But who knows. Maybe they tried it out. And it just really got in the way. But anyway, honestly, I'm giving this series an 8 out of 10. It is amazing. And I can't wait to do the spoiler-free review. Or not spoiler-free. Spoiler review of episode 3 next week. Moving on from, basically, Lord of the Rings, we're going back to the world of Game of Thrones. And Princess Rhaenyra is becoming my favorite character. Especially after she confronted her uncle about the dragon egg and how this whole farce was basically a, I don't want to say a pity show, but him acting out for uh, his brother, uh, who is her father, Basically giving orders. And I gotta say, she basically saved the king's hand, who was about to face the breath of a dragon. Now, one thing that's interesting is the chemistry between the actor who plays Damon and the actress who plays Renera. It's amazing. And I really hope to see more of it before the time skip happens. I know that the actress who plays Renera is coming back for season two. So it's going to keep on going back and forth with the time skips. But I really hope that the actress who ends up being switched is basically a, I don't want to say like a better actress, but has the same chemistry. One thing I want to talk about is how the king had to remarry. And really, I like that he actually refused to marry a freaking 12 year old. And I get that marrying someone who's 15 isn't much better. But one thing I did like is he chose someone of his own accord and someone he thought he could love. And interesting enough, a lot of people have brought up like, oh my God, he's still marrying someone who's underage. And how could they use children like this in history, especially our history back then? It was basically what happened. Where children, uh, whether they be boys and girls, were married to older men and women. It is really on. It's a really sad place in history, but it did happen. And I get that a lot of people are like, why are they putting this in here? But it just goes to show you what had happened. 
not only in their world, but it happened in our history too. Anyway, I want to talk about how really unfair it was for the king to have to remarry for the throne's sake. And I believe that the king's hand is really going to be the main villain of this show. And at the end, Damon is going to come to his rescue. Will that happen? I don't know. But I want to talk about how the queen, who was not to be, was so bitter when talking to Renera. I mean, you could feel the bitterness in every word. It was like you could cut that thing and it was there. And I really wonder how the House of Asari is going to fall since they aren't in Game of Thrones. And their fall has been talked about throughout the Game of, show, uh, Game of Thrones show. Now, one thing I also want to talk about is Episode 3. Now, the interesting part about this is it takes place two years after the episode of Episode 2. It's very interesting to see the strained relationship between Viscarius and Rhaenyra. And it's interesting to see how the new queen, uh, oh god, am I butchering her name out? Alicent, has changed. And how her fractured with her best friend, the princess, has happened because her best friend is now her stepmother and she feels like things are getting out of control. She even talks about this in the episode where she feels like she's a pawn in her father's game. Especially when it's revealed that her father has tried to marry her off to a Lannister. Which is not the best of terms in any aspect, unless it's Tyrion. Anyway, it's really sad because Alicent really cares for both her husband and her best friend slash stepdaughter. Uh, one thing that is interesting is how the king, while making some bad decisions, still seems like a decent dude. Especially when he was arguing with his daughter about, hey, you try to marry me off to a Lannister. He talks about how he tried to consult with her for a while. And basically, she waved him off, never wants to talk to him. And... It's kind of sad, which leads him to drink that entire day. And one thing that's interesting is the fact that he honestly just wants what's best for her. And still wants her to be queen, despite him now having a son. And I remember when I was like, I wonder how Otto is going to fit into this. And lo and behold, he is easily becoming my also most hated character. With him scheming and manipulating everything for himself and how he talks to the king about, hey, you should engage your son and your daughter. Yep, my man went ahead and did that. Honestly, this man is giving me little finger vibes and I really hope he has a good death. And one thing that's interesting is that he gets, he tries to get his daughter to get the king to marry Renera to the stepbrother or somebody, which again, I think is very gross. One thing is the fact that I liked how the king at the end told Renera that to choose, she gets to choose who she will marry to give her the choice, give her, and he basically gave her some advice as well. One thing I loved about the episode is how the white stag uh, which they were trying to find to hunt for her brother's coronation or ceremony for his birthday, basically went and found her. 
and how she spared it. I just thought that was amazing showing that she is to be the next queen. Now, one thing I also believe is that she will probably marry Sir Christian Cole and choose her or not her him to be her husband, which would be interesting. Now, one thing I will say is the highlight of the episode is at the end when the king decides to help his brother after his wife says that which would be better, a dead brother or the crab people uh, basically rising up and taking over everything. When Damon gets the letter, because him and House Viserys is basically losing, uh, he gets really angry. Like, really, really angry. No words were said. He just beats the messenger, gets on his, uh, gets on a boat, and rides off to meet the crab feeders. Now, given they were losing, even though they had dragons. Now, he goes up alone and waves the white flag. And while they come thinking that they, that he had surrendered, he basically kills multiple men, gets shot with an arrow, and becomes to get surrounded. Now, this was amazing because it was a distraction. It brought everybody out. And a dragon comes in and basically kills everything. And the army surrounds them and a fighting begins. Now, one thing I love is the fact that he acted like a younger sibling. That was like, I am not going to let my older brother come in and take the credit for something I've been doing. And just did something reckless. Uh, One thing I did like is the fact that he killed the crab feeder dude and dragged him out. And I am sad that we didn't get to see the fight, but this was the highlight. I mean, my God, this was amazing. I honestly can't wait for episode four and wonder what's going to come next. Heck, I'm excited for episode five. Anyway, uh, that's about it for Game of Thrones world. We're going to be moving on to something that has truly surprised me. This was something I wasn't expected, but Afro Samurai is coming back. I thought, honestly, this anime had ended, but I apparently was wrong. Am I sad or mad? No. I think it's great that it's making a comeback, and I'm excited to see what other stories they will tell. And I am very happy that Samuel L. Jackson is coming back to the role. Uh, anyway, uh, Dragon Prince clips uh, keep appearing on YouTube with no release date or trailer. And I'm wondering to see if Netflix is teasing everybody and wondering how many people care about the show. I honestly can't wait for the full trailer and wish that Netflix would stop teasing us already. Another thing that's going on is a trailer for The Mighty Duck Season 2 has dropped. And yeah, it looks bad. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, The first season works because it was talking about the coach coming back to coach a new generation of hockey with a new team. And I mean, it made sense. But apparently in the background, because of creative differences and a contract dispute, Emilio, who played coach Bombay, will not be returning and has been replaced fully by Lauren Graham's character. And I really hope the series doesn't turn bad, but from what the trailer showed... I really don't have much hope, and I guess we will see how everything goes on September 28th. Uh, Speaking of shows, we're going to be talking about Arcane. Now, Arcane is a, I don't want to say anime, but it was an animated show 
in the world of League of Legends, and it was fantastic. And for it being fantastic, it has won an Emmy for animation and becoming the first ever animated show to win an animated Emmy for a streaming service. Now, I say kudos to this show. It is amazing. I honestly can't wait for season two. And it is easily my favorite show on Netflix. Of course, next to Stranger Things. But it is a great show if you haven't checked it out. And the only thing that has matched it is its unique animated style. Anyway, another thing, moving on, another great show is Rick and Morty Season 6 has premiered. And it was an interesting episode. Now, the first episode, of course, takes place with uh, Morty's mom, who they think is a clone, but they don't know. The Space One saves them, takes them back to Earth. Uh, Rick reveals and Morty reveals that their portal gun is still acting weird, and they're probably going to be without a portal gun for a while. Now, Rick goes back to try to fix it, but instead uh, basically transports each person that is not from that universe to their original universe. And it's funny because it's revealed that Jerry did get mixed up during that episode where he was left with the big Jerry's and stuff like that. Anyway, each of them take a trip and I gotta say a lot of lore was revealed showing that the episode in season four with him being trapped and showing the reasoning was true, how he basically had his dead wife's recording to haunt him and how Morty is not only his, not his original Morty, but is the Morty that belongs to the Rick that killed his wife and his Beth. And that he basically went with them, appeared to their universe to try to use them as bait, which of course never really worked. Now, Morty got the short end of the stick. Not only did he go back to his original universe, which is plagued by monsters, But he really got the truth handed to him by Jerry, who survived, who basically said that Morty abandoned them, that he is responsible for all of this and that he is content because he has basically taken responsibility for his own actions. And I really wish that this Jerry lived and he wasn't killed by the other Rick because a Jerry and a Rick working together to get revenge would have made awesome. But anyway, uh, they fix everything. Uh, They revealed that the big baddie of this season is going to be uh, the evil Rick, the Rick of Ricks. And it's funny because at the end of the episode, they find a new Earth where they hear that Parmesan is now called Parmesanian or something like that. It's funny. And I honestly, this episode was fantastic. And I can't wait to see how they continue with everything now that they don't have a portal gun. And now that they can no longer escape. Now, another show that is coming back, which is interesting, is Quantum Leap. Now, the trailer has dropped. And I know a lot of people were worried about this show since it was shown as a reboot. But in actuality, it's a sequel. Of course, uh, the original characters aren't mostly there. But the show will follow a new character, a physicist named Ben Song, and his team trying to find the mysteries of the original inventor, Sam Beckett, who never returned from his adventures. So this takes place in the same universe, which is great, and it will kind of have a send-off to this new show. Now, he is joined by his hologram colleague, Addison, and together they will try to track down Beckett 
in hopes of bringing him home and solving the mystery of why Ben jumped in the first place. Now, I really like the idea of this show being a sequel to the original because it works with the premise that it's given. New characters, new scientists, they want to explore what happened with the old scientist and they go in after him. It's great. Anyone who's an original viewer of the original series and loved it has something to look forward to here because now they're like, oh, great. Now we get to see what Sam Beckett's been up to, where he's at, and if he's truly still helping people or if something happened along the way. Honestly, it's great because we get to explore themes of the original show and possibly new themes and see experiences and adventures through the point of view of other people. Because that was basically the best thing about the original Quantum Leap. We saw the experiences from other people's point of view, whether it dealt with slavery, women's rights. And I honestly can't wait to see what this show brings. And hopefully it's great. Hopefully it keeps the same spirit of the original one. And I can't wait for Sam to make an appearance. I really hope this show really does well because this show has a lot of potential. And I would hate for them to waste it. Anyway, uh, Picard Season 3 trailer has dropped and it looks great. Uh, The trailer really didn't show much, but it did show the original crew coming back. And it definitely should be a wild ride. And I really hope that the big baddie for this season is really great and sends the show off for its proper goodbye since this is the last season. And one thing I know a lot of Star Trek fans are going crazy for is the use of the Titan ship for the main ship. And they're using a design that was non-canon, which is now officially canon. Another thing that has dropped is Brave New Worlds clip, which is a teasing season two. And honestly, with how well season one was, I can't wait for season two to happen. The first season of uh, Brave New Worlds is honestly better than all four seasons of Discovery. Yes, I said it. Discovery sucks. Anyway, I can't wait to see what this new Star Trek season brings and how it connects, especially since the last uh, season basically cliffhangered us with the glimpse of the future and what's in store for Pike. Now, one thing I want to say is the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer dropped, and it looks amazing. Now, this season will most likely take place, from the looks of it, on Mandalore, which is cool, since this is going to be one of the first times we're seeing this planet in live action that isn't a flashback. And one thing I loved in this trailer was the fact that Bo-Katan is either going to be the antagonist or some like lower antagonist in this show. And I love the fact that she basically was saying, oh, your coat fractured the people of Mandalore and acting like she has a high horse to stand on. Literally, did she forget that she has fractured Mandalore plenty of times by being on the Death Watch, participating in countless conspiracies and terrorist attacks, teamed up, with Darth Maul, who not only hel- and not only helped him conquest the planet, but also helped result in the death of her sister, who was queen. Yes. And basically left Maul in charge of the planet. Not to mention years later. This is the kicker. When she was left as ruler of Mandalore by Sabine Rem in Rebels, And uh, this Rebels takes place before Mandalorian. I want to say about five, ten years before. She was gifted the Black Saber, 
which somehow got lost and landed to Moff Gideon. And Mandalore was even more destroyed. So I say she has absolutely no grounds to talk about fracturing anything, and I think she's just jealous. I think and believe that Mando would make a great king, since he technically is because he has the blade and won the blade, and would be a much better ruler than her. Just my opinion, and I'm very passionate about it. Anyway, uh, moving on to continue with Star Wars, a new trailer for Andor was released, and it looks like it's gonna be a fun spy thriller, kind of like a Jason Bourne slash James Bond show, which isn't a bad thing, and I can't wait to see how everything works and how I'm gonna be at the edge of my seat. One thing that I'm kind of sad about is the fact that Bad Batch Season 2 has been pushed back to January of 2023, And yes, I'm disappointed, but I understand the reasoning because not only are we getting more Marvel and Star Wars shows releasing between now and December, they want to make sure that it's spread enough where they're not dropping everything at once and overwhelming people. Still sad, but again, understandable. I can't wait to see the show in January of 2023 and finally, finally get the answer to what happened to Commander Cody. Anyway, moving on, a picture showing the next Star Wars show has dropped, and of course it has Jude Law, and this is a show I've talked about a little bit on this show called Skeleton Crew. Now, it revealed that most of the cast is kids, but what's more interesting is this is supposedly not going to be a kids show, and the person who created this show is John Watts. Now, knowing him, this show is going to not only be amazing and interesting, But it might get dark, especially with them saying, hey, we know that most of the cast are kids, but this isn't going to be a kid show. I'm curious to see how dark they're going to make this, because with kids, especially with it taking place during the same time frame as The Mandalorian. And apparently the whole premise is the fact that these kids are lost in space. Again, it sounds like it's going to be really fun. And like I said, I can't wait to see how dark this gets. Anyway, uh, moving on from Star Wars, we're going back to a jolly world, a snowy world, a Santa Claus world with Tim Allen back as Santa Claus. Now, the teaser for the trailer dropped, and I think it's hilarious. So Santa Claus is going to be retiring, and Tim Allen is going to try to find his new replacement. And the premise makes sense, and it could lead to the next generation of movies, since it is technically patching the passing the torch uh one thing i find hilarious is the fact that uh this is actually a smart move given the last dude who was santa claus before tim allen basically faded into nothing after he died so yeah i would probably do what he's doing like you know what let me find the next dude so i don't die oh god that's actually kind of funny they did have uh peyton manning there and stuff like that which i thought was hilarious I can't wait to see how the show does, and I'm glad that Tim Allen is coming back as Santa Claus. Anyway, another thing that dropped was Secret Invasion. Now, the trailer is amazing, and one thing that I am shocked about, it's sticking true to the comics where the scrolls invade Earth. Now, I don't know what's happened with the scrolls since they were good guys, but it looks like the scrolls might have had a civil war or split into factions or that uh, this is just a group of scrolls trying to do evil. Now, same as the comics, they have infiltrated all aspects of the government. 
So this will be a spy thriller with many twists and turns. And the one thing that's cool is this is going to be uh, basically like Winter Soldier. And there's going to be some recognizable faces in the show. So they're going to, of course, going to have Nick Fury, James Rhodes, Everett Ross, uh, who is the white dude from Black Panther, played by Martin Freeman, Muriel Hill, and Talos. Now, if you guys don't recognize Talos, he is basically uh, the leader of the scrolls. And there are apparently supposed to be more characters. Now, it's going to be interesting to see who we can trust and who we cannot trust and who basically turns out to be a scroll. And this is going to be interesting because this is going to be Nick Fury's first appearance since Spider-Man No Way Home when the real Nick Fury was still in space and we saw that brief glimpse of him with S.W.O.R.D. Now, I really hope that this show leads up to what's going to be happening in the Marvel's movie. And I really wonder what the heck Captain Marvel is doing since the scrolls are her thing. Seriously, where's Captain Marvel? Anyway, I really hope they justify why she isn't a part of this. But uh, one thing I'm more interested in is this supposedly supposed to lead to Armor Wars, which is going to be the next show with James Rhodes as the main character. Which I think is a good thing because I feel like War Machine has been neglected. And he's a big part of what is Iron Man. Especially since in the comics he took over the mantle of Iron Man. And I really think that he should do the same here. And he should act as a mentor to Ironheart. I can't wait to see uh, War Machine ride again and see where it takes us in the show. I really hope honestly that he wears the armor in Secret Invasion because that'd be kind of cool. Anyway, uh, one thing I also want to talk about, we are also moving on, but sticking on the Disney train, is Percy Jackson. Now, Percy Jackson is a book series that I loved. I remember reading them and reading the whole series, going back to the library, and I was so disappointed with the movie. Now, the trailer for the show dropped, and not only does it look great, but it looks like it's going to follow the book, mostly page by page. Which is fantastic to hear. Because I really hate when they change stuff. Like, they really, like, in the movies, they made them so much older. They didn't even pay attention to the lore and stuff like that. And before someone quotes me for the Lord of the Rings thing, in the movie, they had all entities. They basically had the rights to everything and still screwed it up. But anyway, I can't wait to see how this show happens. And I'm glad that they're casting a younger cast to play the age group of what Percy Jackson and his friends were during the first book. And can't wait to see how the other seasons interpret the other books. Anyway, uh, going back to Marvel, Werewolf by Night trailer has released. And it looks like it's going to be an old time horror campy style special. Now, this is going to be Marvel's first special presentation, and I honestly don't know what this is going to lead to. All I know is it's going to have other supernatural elements of Marvel that was somewhat explored in Doctor Strange. Again, I have no idea how this is going to connect to the MCU, but apparently Man-Thing is supposed to be in here. So, who knows? I'm excited for it, and I can't wait to see how this expands the MCU. Now, going back to Star Wars, Tales of the Jedi is going to be released soon, I believe in October. And this is going to be talking about two tales. One of Ahsoka from a younger point of view when she was young, following her through small instances of training with Anakin, to basically what happens to her after the fall of the Republic. 
On the other hand, the other tale is going to be talking about Count Dooku. Why he fell, how he went to the dark side through his actions with the Jedi, training Qui-Gon Jinn, and his other adventures. I wonder how far this will go, and I'm honestly excited, especially since this is going to be showing Count Dooku's story. Who, besides of course the Clone Wars and some instances with Yoda, we really know nothing about. Another thing that's happening, and this is a kid show, mind you, is a children's show called Star Wars... Um, God, what was the name? Uh, Young Jedi Tales, which is going to be set in the High Republic and made for little kids, preschoolers and early grade schools. It's going to be something simple. Now, there isn't a trailer, but it should be fun for small kids to get into Star Wars if they aren't already are. Now, I mentioned that this is going to be a kid show before a children's show because I already know that there are going to be so many Star Wars fans grown criticizing and saying, oh, why is it this? Why is it that? And I'm like, it's a kid show. It's made for kids. Don't read too much into it. It's not like Rebels. It's something made for small kids. Anyway, moving on from TV shows, finally, (laughs) I know people are like, wow, that was a long time. We're going to be moving on to movies. Now, the Winnie the Pooh horror movie trailer was released, and I really don't know what to make of it. It looks to have the makings of a B-rated horror movie, which isn't a bad thing. It looks campy, but in a good way. And of course, the story is far-fetched, but can be entertaining. I honestly really can't wait for this movie because of the hype around this, and I can't wait for it to be like a stupid good horror movie. Like I said, I mean, I'm not expecting like Oscar or Emmy performances, but I'm here for like the campy stuff. Anyway, another trailer that was released was the Weird Al Yolkovich movie trailer. And one thing I was impressed and honestly surprised about the trailer was Daniel Radcliffe. He melted into the role and played Al Yolkovich from the trailer really well. And I can't wait to see how he does. The one thing I didn't know about, and of course I'll probably hear about this from my dad, is the fact that Weird Al had a relationship with Madonna. And I'm honestly disappointed that this movie isn't going to theaters because it does seem worthy for it to go to movie theaters, but it's going to be on Roku, so we'll see what happens. And I can't wait for the movie to be released. It looks like it's going to be a really good story and a good biopic of Weird Al Yankovic. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about a movie that was released or trailer that was released, not movie. Uh, from the director of Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. And it's going to Netflix and it's produced by Jordan Peele called Wendell and Wild. Now, the trailer showed a girl talking to her demons and saying like they were trying to fight them. And the movie is animated in the same claymation style as Nightmare and Caroline, which is a good thing since the animation is amazing. Now, one thing I loved about this is Keel and Peel are working together and are voicing the demons. And I'm happy that these two are back because their chemistry is amazing. I love them in Keel Peel and I just love their skits. And the last thing that they were both together in was Toy Story 4 and they were hilarious. I can't wait to see this movie release for Halloween and I know it's going to be good. Now, another thing I'm going to be talking about is this Spider-Man fan film. Now, I didn't really know about this until I looked into it, and wow, there's a lot of drama. Now, this fan filmed is called Spider-Man Lotus, 
And it had some interesting feats in itself. It had a professional VX team working on this. Like, yeah, they had a VX team and everything. And now because of recent controversy surrounding the director and the actor who posted racist and uh, messages that were released from his private DMs, it seems like a lot of people are going away, especially the VX team. And while these posts seem to be years old and they went ahead and apologized for it, it seems like there was other drama building behind the scenes as well. But this was the biggest one that took the cape. Now, this was released by a 15-year-old who was mad at the main actor for not hanging out with them anymore. And if the kid wanted revenge, he definitely got it. And... Apparently, the posts are years old, but many people are saying that the actor should uh, be changed because of these posts. And from my understanding, this was these posts were made five years ago. Now, I'm a believer that people can change and we have to be careful when lighting the torch and crucifying someone for something they might have said years prior. Because honestly, we all have a history and... I'm not in no way downplaying what was posted or said, but we definitely don't want another James Gunn situation where it's like, hey, this was like 10 years ago. He's obviously changed. And uh, they did, the main director did post an apology video and he said the movie was going forward even though that the VX team quit. So I don't know what's going to be happening. Uh, They released a trailer and it looked really great. I thought Marvel posted it. Anyway, uh, whether or not this movie should be released should be up to the people since this was a crowdfunded project and people donated it to this and they can't get their money back. So honestly, I say the people should decide. As for me, with this much drama and controversy that does include the other stuff, I don't think this movie should be released already since it's already leaving a bad taste in everyone's mouth and it should be left be. I also believe that this stuff should have been disclosed earlier especially with the actor and the director. Anyway, uh, moving on to something a little more happy. Black Adam trailer release. And my God, is it an upgrade from the last trailer. This trailer is actually painting Black Adam as the villain. Like, the main character is going to be the villain and we're following him. Now, this honestly should be the trailer that they should have released first. And I don't think they should release any more trailers. Like, don't do it. This is it. You're good. You met the peak. And talk about how the JSA is going to win against Black Adam or if they're going to even stand a chance. Now, I'm interested to see if the JSA is going to be somewhat the antagonist to the villain in this one or there's someone else going to be in the background manipulating everything. The one thing I will be, well, I will say that I was surprised is to see Amanda Waller in the trailer. And I'm looking at DC like, where the heck does this film fall? In the DCU timeline, or are we just saying that Suicide Squad 2, Peacemaker, and Black Adam take place in the same universe? I honestly don't have an answer for you right now. And knowing the DCU, they'll spin something. Hopefully, when the movie comes out, we find out, and hopefully, the movie's great. I'm actually very curious to sense if this takes place in the same universe as Peacemaker. Her daughter outed her out and the Suicide Squad. Anyway, moving on, uh, Thor Love and Thunder uh, was released on Disney Plus with all the deleted scenes coming out on YouTube as well. And one of the deleted scenes caught my attention and this was a different scene with Zeus. Now, 
Zeus in the scene was basically mentoring Thor and talking to him. And it was a great scene, especially with Zeus acting sort of as a father figure and showing that he has learned from his past mistakes similar to Odin. It was not the drunken fool we got in the final cut. It was honestly disappointing to see that, hey, this is what we could have gotten, but we got the other thing. I don't know if it was supposed to play for laughs or do something, but it's kind of disappointing to see they dropped the ball hard with this. And I really wish wish that they left the scene in here because it would have added some much-needed humanity to the movie. And it honestly might have made the movie better. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, the trailer for The Terrifier 2 dropped, and it looks good. I've actually never seen the first one, and with Halloween coming up, I might actually watch it since I'm a big horror movie guy. And I can't wait to see if the hype around it is good. And the hype is also warranted, because... It could be a somewhat good movie, but drops below the hype. But can't wait to see Terrifier 2 after seeing the first one. Now, another trailer that's dropped is Knives Out 2. And the trailer looks fantastic. I love the first one, and it kept me at the edge of my seat, especially when the ending was revealed and we revealed who was the killer. And the story seems to be even more wilder, and with these actors and actresses like Catherine Hamm, David Bautista, Edward Norton, Daniel Craig, and more, it's going to be one hell of a ride. Another trailer that was dropped was Hocus Pocus 2, and wow, did it capture the energy of the original one, which is great. I love the original Hocus Pocus movie, my sisters would watch it all the time, and when I heard they were going to reboot it, I was scared, then I heard they were making a sequel, and I was somewhat worried because I didn't know who was coming back, and then it was revealed that the original witches were coming back with some of the original cast, my heart slowed down, I was like, thank god. And the story does work in what the trailer has shown, that uh, these cho- uh, teenagers went to the woods, light a candle that happened to have magic, and revive the witches by mistake. And they're out to seek the souls of the children to keep them young. I honestly can't wait for this movie to be released, and I can't wait for this Halloween to be a fun one. Another trailer that dropped was Disenchanted, uh, basically the sequel to Enchanted. And this movie has been teased for a while, and I'm finally glad that they were able to drop something. Now, I really did like Enchanted when it first came out, and I get while the premise was campy and the songs were campy, it was a great movie. And this takes place years later and follows them to the suburbs where Gazelle is feeling out of place, even more so, especially for what seems to be the later of their HOA. She ends up getting a wand and wishes for her life to be a fairy tale, and of course, things go wrong. And from the trailer, from what the trailer made it seem, it seems like she might actually be a sub-villain, especially since she's the stepmother. And of course, the stepmothers in all the movies are evil, and she may be fighting herself for control at times for what she wished for. But honestly, with with most of the original cast back, I can't wait to see what new songs appear and how great this movie is going to be. Another trailer, or more teaser dropped, uh, was The Little Mermaid. And I was kind of worried about this movie because some of the last few live-action movies was really bad. Especially Mulan. God, that was terrible. But with Halle Berry singing, her voice really captured the emotion of Ariel in the few seconds we got. And one thing I loved is it didn't sound like it was from SoundCloud, and I loved it. 
I will definitely give this movie a chance like I've done with the others, but I really hope it's good and it lives up to the hype. Uh, speaking of movies living up to the hype, a new announcement was made where they're making a live action prequel to The Lion King called Mufasa. Now, I was very disappointed that this was not going to be a 2D animated movie like the original movie was. Because honestly, I feel like that would have been amazing. And I find it funny that they're calling it live action when there's not going to be any animals actually being used for the film. And it's still animated. Uh, One thing I hope is this movie will be dark or at least very least have some good songs. And I get that they casted young people to voice Scar and Mufasa. But I do hope that James Earl Jones has a cameo. And I know people are like, why didn't they cast James Earl Jones? I'm like, well... It's supposed to be a prequel with them being younger and James Earl Jones sounds like an old man. It's not going to fit. Anyway, can't wait to see what's going to happen. And one thing I was very surprised with the announcements is the fact for a movie where I have seen countless fan-made trailers for years has actually gotten a sequel. And it's going to be dun, 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 Inside Out 2. And I am not ready for it. <laughs> The Now, I've heard that most of the original cast is coming back, and this will still take place in Riley's head. But, of course, she will be a teenager this time. Which should be more interesting to see what drama happens and if we're going to explore some of the other emotions as well. Now, the last movie was very good and very moving, and it kind of made me cry. I'm not going to mention what scene, because if you've seen the movie, you know exactly which one. And I don't know if I'm ready for this emotional roller coaster that this movie will bring. But even though I am here for it and I love Pixar. Uh, speaking of Pixar, their next image or next movie has shown their image and it's going to be called Elemental. And it's going to be interesting because it is with a guy who looks like he's made of water and his wife who's made of fire. And knowing Pixar, it's going to be something weird, it's going to be something beautiful, and I can't wait for it. Uh, Moving on, another uh, movie has added Jamie Lee Curtis to the movie. And I honestly can't wait to see how this version of The Haunted Mansion uh, becomes. Because honestly, I love the original one with Eddie Murphy, so I really hope this lives up to the hype. And speaking lastly on movies, we're going to be talking about a new Disney animated studio movie. Now, uh, this will be its next original story called Wish, and it's going to take place in the Kingdom of Wishes. And I really can't wait to see it. Alan Tudyk is going to be in the movie, and I don't know if he's going to be playing a character or doing chicken voices. Who knows? It's Alan Tudyk. I love the dude, so I already know this is going to be a good one. And honestly, it should be the newest movie to add a Disney princess to the roster. Because what was the last one? I want to say it was Moana was the last movie to add a Disney princess. Because you already had uh, Penelope from Wreck-It Ralph and stuff like that. But honestly, it should be interesting to introduce a new princess since they seem to do it every four or five years. Or ten years, depending. Anyway, can't wait to see what happens. And we're going to be moving on to video games. Now, uh, the trailer and gameplay from the new new Tales from the Borderlands has released. And the trailer really doesn't make the game seem good. But after watching the gameplay, 
it honestly looks okay. Uh, you have a couple characters. One looks like a discount Jaden Smith, and uh, the others look oddly like other people, but honestly, he's the one that stood out. But the game seems to have its charm. Uh, one thing that is very weird is the fact that none of the characters from the first game seem to be making an appearance. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll pop in from time to time or pop in towards the end. And they, it seems like uh, the people from Borderlands has added a few fun mini games, like battling with figurines and other cool stuff to the story. And it's still following the same mechanic where your decisions basically uh, connect to the end and change the story as you continue. I honestly think from the gameplay that this looks like it's going to be cool. And I can't wait to play it when it comes out. I liked uh, the first one, and hopefully this one will live up to the hype. Now, I want to talk about my disappointments. Uh, there was a game that I saw the trailer for, and I thought, oh my god, this is going to be like Pirates of the Caribbean, but left me with disappointment once I saw the actual gameplay, and that is Tortuga, A Pirate's Tale. And I actually thought this was going to be a fun Pirates game, but it looks like a cheap mobile game that's being sold to consoles. This game looks like it's worth $0, and I hope no one buys this game because it is definitely not worth the probably $30 or $70 they're going to slap on this thing. One game I'll say that has not disappointed me is Xenoverse 2. Yes, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2. Now, you're probably asking yourselves, why am I mentioning this seven-year-old game or six-year-old well apparently this game is never going to die because with a fan base and a player account that will apparently succeed halo infinite my jaw dropped when they announced a new dlc character was being released for this game from the new dragon ball superhero movie gamma 2 now one thing that surprises me is this game is six years old at this point and is still getting content now that is dedication I am impressed with Banco with their willingness to continue to support this game. I'm surprised we haven't got Xenoverse 3 yet. And honestly want Xenoverse 3 since it's, what, six, six years? Uh, I mean, we got Dragon Ball Kakarot, but it would be great to have another Xenoverse game where it has cross-play, where we're able to play with other people, and level up our characters again. I... I am somewhat sad that a fighting game has more of a fan base than Halo Infinite. And Halo Infinite will most likely be another dead game this year and the next. A new gameplay for Sonic Frontiers has released and the game looks amazing. Uh, the game seems to be taking a more serious direction and Sonic's voice sounds deeper and older. Now that's not a bad thing since it seems like Sonic will have a bit more experience and from the gameplay, the open world seems a lot more cool and it looks a lot more like Dark Souls meets Sonic, which is not a bad thing. Now, I really hope that this Sonic game does great because Sonic needs a win in the gaming front because his games are very inconsistent with the quality. And if this turns out to be a bad game, I really don't know where they're going to go with this. I really don't. So hopefully it's a win and we get to see more. Now, one thing that I was surprised and didn't know what was coming out is Cobra Kai 2 released on uh, consoles. Now, the gameplay for this dropped, and I didn't even know this show had a video game. 
let alone a sequel coming out, but apparently it was successful enough to make it, and it looks like a simple a game. Its graphics are rough around the edges, but it's a simple beat-em-up. And, I mean, if anyone's bored and they love Cobra Kai and want to purchase it, this game is for you. I mean, I won't be buying this, but if you're a fan, go for it. Uh, another thing that dropped is Cyberpunk 2077 is getting its first DLC called Phantom Liberty. Now, this is seemingly going to be a spy thriller expansion. Now, the teaser doesn't show much, but what it does show that this will bring warfare to Cyberpunk City, and the main character seems to get drafted into something. Now, this DLC isn't coming out until 2023, so you won't know anything until the full trailer drops. Uh, but the gameplay does seem to be doing well, and I am cautiously waiting for this DLC and might pick up Cyberpunk to play it, but I don't know. I'm very on edge about this since the launch of Cyberpunk really left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, and for a lot of people who were still on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, this game is basically unplayable. They actually release discounts or refunds for people who purchase like the season passes for uh, Cyberpunk for these consoles because they're not able to play it. They're just sticking to the newest generation since this is what is going to be able to run the game. But who knows, maybe enough time has passed where I'll sit down and play Cyberpunk and see if this game is good and see if this DLC does anything. Anyway, uh, one thing that's been announced is PlayStation is releasing new classic games to their game pass or their version of the game class one of the games caught my eye and it is sly cooper collection with the three original games by sucker punch now i was a big fan of the three original games when i was younger and would play them all the time now out of all three of the original the second one was my favorite and playing them again will bring back so many good memories I tried to play the fourth one, but it really felt bad. It didn't have the charm as the others and really felt empty, even though it had new worlds and a good idea. The story wasn't that good, and I'm honestly just going to stick to the original three. Now, uh, going back to an earlier comment, I stated Halo Infinite has proven that 343 Studios cannot make a good Halo game. Honestly, at by three games, nope. Now, I will say this, that uh, people with this had an idea. They went with it. They went with the whole open world. It was an interesting idea, but it's very interesting to see how badly they dropped the ball. Like, they weren't ready for this next step. The game is dead. I mean, you can do some of the side quests, but the one thing that disappointed everybody... Because it would have opened the world and expanded, made people go back to play with their friends, is the fact that they canceled the most commonly asked thing and most wanted feature, co-op. They canceled co-op. You know how many people were looking forward to co-op? Going to be able to play their uh, play with their friends, their family members, with Halo like they were able to do before. They said that they canceled this to put their teams on other projects to make more content for Halo Infinite, which I said before, is a dead game. They weren't ready for this type of step, because when it comes to an open world game, you have to keep updating it. You have to make sure that it's replayable, that people can go out and do stuff. 
Why do you think it takes them so long to release a Skyrim game? Because you can pour hours upon hours on uh, content in the single player campaign. With this one, you're done, you're done. That's it. They talked about releasing a DLC, but we've yet to hear any more news. And with the canceling of co-op feature, it's just, just really bad. I knew people personally who was looking forward to exploring, playing with their friends and family like they used to. I honestly don't think that 343 should have made this game an open world. And if they were going to leave this game to be so dead with no replay value for a while, for long stretches, they should have just made this game like the other ones where it was just basically a singular game point view where, okay, you just go here to here, kill people, do the story and that's it. Because they obviously weren't ready for this. Honestly, Microsoft should have gotten some of the studios that have worked on open world games to help them. Because with all these delays and non-DLC stuff coming up, who knows? Maybe next year I'll be like, oh wow, Halo is not a dead game anymore. There's stuff to do. But I guess they really tried to compete with their old studio, Bungie, to make a Destiny killer. And it failed. I have no idea where the Halo series is going after this, but major changes need to be made at 343. Because Microsoft is obviously failing fast. Anyway, moving on, a character that I was not expecting yet that is appearing in multiverses is Gizmo. Now, I think that's cool because I only thought that, uh, what was his name, Spike was going to be uh, in multiverses. And both are from Gremlins, and I can't wait to see how they do. Uh, He is supposedly supposed to be a support character, and I can't wait to see if he becomes my preferred support character. Anyway, I love Gremlins. I know they're releasing a movie later this year, so I can't wait to see how everything works. Now, moving on to uh, Ubisoft. Yep, Ubisoft has released a bunch of trailers for their next few games, and one of them is called Assassin's Creed Mirage. Now, this game seems to be going back to its roots, where there's actually going to be assassins. Uh, This game is also going to be taking place in the Middle East, specifically Baghdad. And this isn't going to be another 150-hour RPG. And this will focus more on stealth and parkour like the first game. Now, this is a relief because while some of the other games were okay, they were not true Assassin's Creed games. And the only similarity they had was to the name. This one seems to be going back to its roots, and I'm glad. Because one thing I loved about the original Assassin's Creed games was you learned the history. You learned about these people. You loved reading about this. And not freaking, oh, look, there's Anubis. Oh, we're now on playing Odin. And for some reason, he has the same health as uh, an Assassin's Creed person. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that I won't have to face any mythical creatures anymore. Or gods. Anyway, uh, besides that, another Assassin's Creed game called Red will be another open RPG world set in feudal Japan. I hope this game will be as grindy as the last one and will somewhat not take the whole RPG element to the extreme, like I said, to be grindy. I hope that uh, parkour and stealth elements are more seriously taken in this game because of the time period that it's set in. I also don't know if this is going to be similar to Ghost of Tsushima, and if it is, I hope it takes the good parts. I also 
am interested in to see if they're gonna stick to the same thing where if you're not a high enough level you can't kill certain enemies which i always hated but who knows another assassin's creed game announced was called assassin's creed hex and will take place during the same witch trials now this is going to be interesting because there are so many stories to tell because the Salem Witch Trials took place during a significant amount of time during uh, America's history in the 16 and 1500s and somewhat in the 1700s. And it's going to be interesting to see how everyone is paranoid at this point because of witches. Now they can make this a thriller horror game that doesn't have to be supernatural. That can be like a mind bending game where you're being accused or you have to make sure you're not accused doing different stuff, framing people, who knows. Uh, They haven't released what type of game this will be, but they can do a lot of stuff with it, and I can't wait. Another Assassin's Creed game that was announced was called Assassin's Creed Jade. And this one is going to be a mobile game taking place in China. I'm not a fan of mobile games since it has limited capabilities, but we'll see how it works and maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Another Ubisoft announcement was for some extra mobile games set in both Division and Rainbow Six Siege. The Division one is going to be called Resurgence and will be coming out in the fall. They released a trailer, but knowing Ubisoft, I'm going to wait for the gameplay. Uh, They're making Rainbow Six Siege for mobile, so we'll see how well that does, and hopefully it's good. But who knows, when it comes to Tom Clancy games, Ubisoft has little faith in them, and I have little faith in Ubisoft. Another Division game that is going to be released is called Heartland, and apparently it's going to be a free-to-play. Now, as soon as I saw those words, I'm like, oh my god, I can smell the microtransactions coming. I wonder how they're going to be supporting all these games at once, because um, Ubisoft did this before, and it really did not work out. Now, moving on, I'm going to be going on to my next stage. Now, I renamed this from Movie Theories to Nerd Theories to cover all bases, because at this point, uh, this is going to be used to talk about a bunch of stuff. Anyway, um, going on to Nerd Theories, I'm going to be talking about my concern of what is going on at Ubisoft. Now, I am very interested, like I said before, and thankful that all these great games seem to be getting released. But I think that the problem here is a lot of these games are going to have a lot of bugs. Because Ubisoft tried this before when they were releasing like Assassin's Creed games every six months. And it took a lot of people and a lot of time to catch up to play all these games. Because even though they were on a smaller scale, they were pretty big games. And I really hope that a lot of these games that they're going to be releasing are actually good and not throw in the mud games to see what sticks. And in my opinion, I really think that Ubisoft is doing this to justify the closure of some studios. Because with this way, I think they're going to be like, oh, this game didn't perform well. We're going to save money and we're going to just blame the uh, blame the studio and say, hey, this studio has done poor performance. We're going to close it down. I really hope that's not the case. I really hope that's not true. But who knows? Maybe Ubisoft is looking to drain the swamp. And this is the best way they can think of. Not to mention they'll have a lot of good tax uh, write-offs if uh, these games fail. Anyway, uh, moving on. So PlayStation... The president of PlayStation made a tweet calling out and expressing concerns of Call of Duty 
going to be an Xbox-only game once their contract with Activision is done. Now, I really think this would be foolish for Microsoft to do because Call of Duty is a big game and the moneymaker here is the fact that it can be on both consoles. I really don't think that if they made it a Xbox-only expansion with it being on PC that people will start buying Xboxes. I think this will lead for the console wars to get bloody with them coming up with new games, coming up with other games, and making them not only accessible through other consoles, but it's going to be another thing of who has the better games. If that happens, who knows? Uh, Maybe one will get above the other. I honestly think that Sony, in the long term, will win, because Microsoft really sucks at the long term, uh, playing the long term game, especially with games like Halo Infinite. I mean, besides PC, since that will always be on top, I think Sony will end up winning this whole console war if it gets to that bloody point. Anyway, uh, moving on to current events, I know that uh, announcement was made on Thursday that the Queen of England, who was ruling for over 70 years, is dead. I know many in London are mourning for her, and while other peoples are expressing their condolences other people are taking the opportunity to spit on the crown now i'm not going to get into it because of course this isn't a political podcast but i really wish the family the best and condolences for their loss anyway moving on uh today is 9 11 and my heart goes out to the families that have lost their loved ones on this tragic day now this day will always be never easy because i am a new yorker and This is a big tragedy that happened to the city I grew up in and has left a permanent scar on the city I love. And again, this day will always be remembered. And I hope that you guys take a moment of silence for the people and the lives that were lost on this day. Anyway, uh, that is it for this week's episode. I know it's a long one and I can't wait to see everyone next week. And I will also have a surprise for you guys next week, so stay tuned. Well, see you later. Sayonara, and I hope you guys have a blessed day.